Scuba Obsessed Weekly Podcast, we talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear to places a dive and scuba news. Scuba Obsessed episode 351 is recorded live December 14th, 2017. Welcome back to Scoob Obsessed. I'm Darren Jolson coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan. Joining me this week, we have Mac the Dive Mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm glad to be here, and I'm doing pretty well, and it's been a while. <laughs> it has been. It has been quite a bit of time. And also joining us this week, all the way from the east side of the state and a little bit down, we have Dave Toneman. How are you doing today, Dave? I'm doing well down in Ohio, where there isn't as much snow. So you, you haven't you haven't been getting the snow like we have been? Oh, thank God, no. Rarely a dusting. Yeah. As long as we don't get hard water, I don't care how much it snows. Yes. And we'll apologize in advance for the audio, because uh, we don't know. This is all brand new. Uh, to bring everybody up to speed who's been listening to the program... Uh, we had migrated off of TalkShoe for hosting the file, so when you get the show, you're not getting it from TalkShoe. Uh, we have moved to, uh, I, I believe the pronunciation's Podient or Podient, a company out of the UK that is hosting. Uh, so we moved all the show episodes, and we have that that had been completed, and we got it done none too soon because TalkShoe then started having issues. It went two weeks where you couldn't do anything with TalkShoe, and uh, TalkShoe had been what we were using for the live chat room. So you can get into the chat room, you could stream, you could hear. The only way that was possible was is through TalkShoe. So we have borrowed something that the Kitty Gamers use, which I've just insulted quite a few people, but the uh, gaming community have been using a tool called Discord. And I had seen some podcasters and video streamers had used that. And we found out that it's a good quality tool, but there was a little bit of a learning curve to get everything all together and working. So uh, some of our earlier tests, the software OBS Studio uh, is what we are planning on using for video. Well, we're actually using that for audio. We just don't have anything. The screen's going to be blank. So it will still be a audio-only podcast for the rest of the remainder of this year, uh, with Discord being the chat room. And if you happen to be in Discord you would be able to hear the audio. And we also have the ability, if you had a microphone, a headset, and we had some sort of portion of the show, we could unmute you and let you come in, which was some of the features that TalkShoe had, but not nearly as good. And the audio quality I find in Discord is actually quite amazing. It, it's it's pretty good if you happen to be in there. Uh, the, the recording we're doing again through OBS Studio, we'll see how that goes. I have to do a little bit of post-editing where I strip the video from the audio from the video and then we'll put it all together if you want to learn how to get into the discord uh, go to our website scubaobsessed.com you migrate over to the about us the show and where we talk about facebook and twitter one of them is going to be a discord channel or you can drop us a line if you get confused and you can't figure it out we're also going to start up a newsletter just to be able to communicate this because that was one of the things talks you had is it had a listing of everybody who had subscribed 
So when we were getting ready for a new show, I would put something in there and it would send it out. And without using talk show, we no longer have that. So we're going to come up another way and we'll use uh, probably MailChimp. <coughs> one of those tools I use quite a bit at work. So we'll hijack that for the purposes of, of letting everybody know what the podcast is going on with. So we thank everybody for their patience. And hopefully this means that we're, we're about back to normal, as, as normal as we can be. I was going to say, what do you mean by normal? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's uh, maybe a poor choice of words. Uh, So uh, before we jump in the news, I mean, I think everybody on the podcast has gotten in the water, which considering how many dry spells I'd had, it was kind of good. So uh, I don't know. I don't think we've had a podcast since we, since the turkey dive. So since before Thanksgiving. So uh, let's talk about that uh, turkey dive. we we had quite a few muddies in the water for that, and some actually got some good pictures taken. I didn't see any of the pictures. How how those turn out? They're on Facebook. Yeah, I I've been I've been crazy with work. I haven't. I f- Facebook. It's it's like uh, anytime I turn it on, it's like you again. You haven't been here in a while. Where have you been? It it, it nags me. <laughs> I I just have to turn it off. Uh, so there were good photos. Or, or videos or yeah, both? We, yeah, and you're in there prominent. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I think maybe I did see a couple of photos. I suppressed those. Those are just uh, – I, I blacked, I, I blacked that out. Good one. You had the real good one on the, on the bench being helped with your, with your slippers. I mean, uh, yeah. your fins. Yeah. And then everybody was watching the one where you're walking down with your fins down the embankment waiting for you to fall on your face in the water. Yeah, I think I was I was going to try and test the uh, tempered glass of the, of the mass. That's what would have happened. But then we realized you came to your senses when you sat down and oozed yourself in the water. Yeah, I, I could just see myself being a little negatively buoyant, and uh, the next time would be when they dragged the river for my body. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that was... Uh, it's amazing how little time can go between dives and you just have to regather everything. But it wasn't too bad. Other than no viz and cold, it wasn't a bad dive. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What do you mean no viz? I got video, man. You got video. I don't know what you're what you using. Radar. I I didn't have <laughs> I, – I think, I, I think if, if I stretched my arm at, out, I thought my hand had – Demolecularized. It was I couldn't. I didn't. Yeah, it when was the sun. When the sun yes. would come out, if you were below, if you were above ten feet, you could see the rocks about I don't know six inches in front of your face. Yes. Yeah. You're 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 absolutely correct. The sun because it was a partly sunny day, and if the sun went behind the clouds, visibility really dropped. When the sun was out, you did have a good two or three feet easy. And if you went to the channel. You had Braille. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all I did, I think I barely got to the bottom. I just kind of hung around the wall. Um, I did find find some items. Yeah, there was there's a the collection of trash as you'd expect. You got I, the CB right. I did. I found a, a Citizen Band radio that was in the water. Uh, and I got a good fishing pole, a really nice one. I think uh, Ed took home. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had what two. Rebreathers in with us. Yeah, one they, side mount, one yes. lady in a wetsuit. Mm-hmm. Brave and hardy soul she was. Yes, 
And it's very nice that we had a really warm trailer to dress in. Ah, yes. And undress in. Yes. That, that, was, that was a nice trailer and much appreciated and well used. That was nice to be able to get into the trailer. And yeah. we had more people on the surface than we did divers, which is always nice mm-hmm. because almost everybody had their own personal tender. Yeah. So uh, at, this is my first time in the last three years I've been able to get back in the water. The, the, the time before I was in for the turkey dive was when we had the body recovery. <laughs> So, oh, that's three years ago, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So we, because we had that, uh, that was four years ago, and then three years ago was down at uh, in Niles. We did the dive, and then two years ago, or I, I'm I'm adding a year. Uh, last year was was in the river. Yeah, so three years ago. Yeah, you're right. Three, two, one, and then this year. So yeah, it was in it was in the river, and then. This one. So I had missed two turkey dives. So it was nice. It was good to get it in the water. And uh, I now have to swap my tanks because uh, I have the tank The tank I used, I had to empty because it, it's due for a viz. And then I need to make an excuse to get down to the dive shop to pick up my tank that's come back from Hydro and then deposit this tank to get its viz done. But it was, it was, a, it was a good day. Has, has anybody done any diving besides that? Uh, I'd been down at Pompod trying to get people to go in and check out their dry suits or other before the New Year's dive. For those mm-hmm. who have not maybe got uh, any diving in for a while. And uh, I think Sweeney was with me once. And, you know, he he was just trying out another dry suit because he sent his, his good one in. And we won't talk about Bob because he's going to be diving New Year's, but he won't be here. Yeah. He's going to be someplace where it's warm and visibility. And then he's going to miss the January and February dives because he's going to be in this weird place that has water visibility that's, you know, good. It's called Hawaii or someplace like that for probably a month. I don't know how he can dive in that. I just, I don't know how he can do it either. Kind of I mean, dangerous. I, too, too much visibility. I want to play with his new cameras. <laughs> So cameras, rebreather, warm weather, retired. Is he coming back? <laughs> if I could go to all these little places he's going to with warm water that you don't need your dry suit, I would go to. Yeah. But you right. got to figure we got a little over two weeks and we got the New Year's ice dive. Yeah. Or New Year's dive. Yeah. Yeah. I. I it, it's good that you brought that up because I, I see that we have officially got that in the calendar. Now, whose house is that going to be going to? Uh. It's going to be at uh, Jim and Randy Schultz okay. over in Dwajak. So we will probably be diving one of the sister lakes, more likely than not. It'll be Round Lake mm-hmm. because there's plenty of parking around it. And they actually have a, um outdoor facility. So if you needed somewhere to dress or relieve oneself, you'd have a opportunity to do it there. There's mm-hmm. also an ulterior motive for wanting to dive there. Recovery there of might, some sort? There, there, there might just be some treasure somewhere just off the boat ramp. Ah. Well, you got the Half Moon. You know that when I'm talking about with the Half Moon Bay? Mm-hmm. That's the Sandy's part? Yep. You go there during the summer, I fly over and take pictures of the boats, and then I go back to find out where the boats were, because that's where you find the stuff. I'm, I'm thinking I'm thinking more of, I'm looking for a new mask. Oh. And I've heard rumors there might be a mask in that area that fits me really well. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh. 
Ouch. Uh, you know, actually, you mentioned Sister Lakes, and for being such a local lake, I don't think I've gone diving in any, any of them. Magician? No. No. Oh, I, wow. I think uh, when I was getting into diving that everybody had kind of been burned out on those lakes or said there was nothing there. So, yeah, I haven't well, been in mag- they're, they're not bottle-grubbing lakes. Well, that, that, that must explain it right there. You've been to Indian Lake? Indian Lake? No. Yeah. Oh. Well, let me see. I've been to, yeah, so this is a real exciting part of the podcast, right? My bad memory tries to remember where I've been. Uh, I've been to Eagle Lake. And I've been to Lake. That's out towards Cora, off to the yeah, right. I've done Lake Cora. I've done, uh, you know, the. Pawpaw. Pawpaw. Yep. Uh, we've done Singer, you know, Lake 16. We did that lake up there in Grand Rapids where we had the with Millennium Park. Yep, yep. Uh, I've done a couple over there in the east side of the state when we went and did the rebreather diving. Um, Gull Lake. Yeah, Gull Lake, yep, done Gull Lake. Have you done uh, Schaefer? That's outside of Hartford. I don't think I've done Schaefer. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of lake, because usually uh, a lot of my – time with diving would be with with kurt and bob and uh if they had decided it was a no good dive then we we probably would just uh gloss over it you'll have to come out and uh dive in sister lakes looks I, like i will be up there for new year's excellent oh, excellent yeah i'll i'll well, have I know john devoto was out that week before last over in uh cass county diamond lake and if you saw the picture I posted, visibility was over forty feet. Hmm. Yeah, I'll. I'll. I'm still trying to see if I can find a way to work it out. That's my daughter's birthday is New Year's Eve, so. Well, you should bring her along to offer <laughs> shore support. <laughs> yeah, I think Mac has a story about how daughters and New Year's Eve dives go. Yeah, my daughter was fourteen when she went out with me. And her dry suit leaked, and she blames me for breaking her uh, regulator, temperature regulator. And now <laughs> she gets her, she just freezes all the time. <laughs> and now I looked at a picture of my poor daughter back then, and she was pretty much hypothermic, I think. <laughs> so I feel real bad about that. And that was in a river with ice. Oh, yeah. In a, in a, she was a hale and hearty soul. There you go. She didn't <laughs> know any better. <laughs> Yeah, broker regulator though. Yeah, so we got that. So we got that dive coming up. Do we have a bet on when we will have ice for an ice dive? I don't. I have not heard of anybody having any kind of bets. I know the temperature for the next week is the high twenties, and even if you had skim ice, you're not going to have enough to uh, do a true ice dive. Yeah, well, I put a bet out for February 3rd and 4th for an ice diving class, so there's my bet. Where at? The lecture will be at Wolf's on the 20th, January. So it'll be local where you're going to do it? Yep. We Let just got I've got, I've got platforms. I've got platforms that you definitely want to use. Yep, I believe Jim will be talking to you about that. Okay. We were just we were just finalizing stuff a couple of hours ago. Yeah. Okay, because if, if we've got good ice and you're having a class, I would suggest we do two holds and we have two different um, platforms because once you dive that platform, you'll never want not to dive with a platform. <laughs> you're you're going to start yep. them off cushy. 
Oh, let me tell you, but it's so much safer, too. Oh, certainly. It is. Much easier to get in and out of. So oh, if you if you if you're doing it at Wolf's, what kind of uh distance are is the dive yeah, are you trying to keep it local to the area? Are we talking like maybe a singer lake sort of dive or We're like, looking at keeping it local. Okay. Now And I'll, then who knows where we'll go from there. Yeah, I'll keep an eye out at Singer Lake because if Singer Lake it gets hard before then, maybe what we could do is mark a couple spots and shovel the snow off so that the ice builds up. I'd really like to do something out on the big lake, but you get all that pack ice on that side. Yeah. I don't, I've, well, I haven't heard of anybody doing anything on the big lake as far as a ice dive that's not a rescue. Well, if you get out there when the ice is up against the piers, but the channel's open, Bob's gone out there with the Zodiac and you can go in there. Mm-hmm. But if you do that, you use your downline on the Zodiac, a good one. Because mm-hmm. you know if that's not going to go under the ice, so you can always get back out. Yeah, yeah. That, but that's kind of a little bit different than if you're trying to do a formal training. Oh yeah, you're not going to do a class for that, no. Yeah, because for a class, you really want to be able to do it right. You do the triangle and the ice. You do the uh, patterns and everything. Which... Well, well, after the class, um, yeah. A couple of years ago, we were doing some ice dives on some wrecks in Lake Erie on the west end of Lake Erie, where you normally don't have visibility, and under the ice. Wow, there was a wreck there. Yeah. Well, if you want to do one with a wreck, we should go up to Duncan Bay in Sheboygan and dive to Ginny Lynn. Ah. Now, they've been doing that at the uh, dive shop up there for the last four or five years now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's another one that's right in that area that they've been doing also. Well, well since yeah, we're on the, I, on the topic, why don't we explain to the listeners why in the world would you want to go and do an ice dive? I'll tell you real quick. Visibility increases like crazy, generally speaking. You don't have boaters. You don't have skiers. So you don't have surface traffic to interfere with your diving. And also adds to the visibility, meaning the clarity, because you don't have runoff and you don't have the agitation of the the water by external sources. And it's a new exploration in diving. You get under the ice and it's like being in a cathedral. The way the lights come through from whatever snow you've cleared, playing with the bubbles that are up underneath the ice, it's its a totally different diving experience, and why wouldn't you want to experience everything you could in diving? And then the, the question I'm sure that everybody's asking is, isn't it cold? Usually it's warmer in the water than it is up top. And that's due to the uh, the fact that you don't have wind chill underwater? Well, the water's got to be above 32. And the key item there is as long as you are warm, and that's why dry suits are really nice, you're going to be comfortable because there's no difference really between cold water river diving and ice diving. And I've had more free flows diving cold water in the river than I ever have in the ice. Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, and then I'd like to remind people that in May, when we're doing a deep dive and you're getting down below the thermoclines, you know, 50, 60 feet, it's 39. So you, yep. so you're on, you're, you're less than 10 degrees difference in that early, the late, that late spring, early summerish dive than you are in doing an ice dive. So, well, it's really temperature wise though. You should go up to Lake Superior. You do any deep diving there, a hundred feet. It's just as cold. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, like Mac was saying the last couple episodes where he was talking about, you know, colder weather and colder water diving, there, there are ways of staying warm or safe and comfortably warm. And that's the purpose of going to a good class that shows you all the techniques and the uh, little items that'll, to keep you warm. And like you said, you keep warm before you get dressed. You get warm and stay warm while you're getting dressed. So when you get in the water, you're not already cold and chilled. And then when you get out, you dry off in stages and keep yourself warm. And some nice chicken soup. So what are the requirements for somebody if they if they think they may be interested in doing an ice dive? Uh, what's uh, based, the requirements for the class? The requirements for the class are pretty simple. Uh, advanced open water is a prerequisite. Uh, the standards do require that. And also, uh, one of the biggest requirements I have is that the regulator they're going to take under the ice, because of the fact that it is a class and everything, has to be stated by the manufacturer as a cold water regulator. And if they don't have one, I know that Wolf's has some available, you know, rental, or you could pick one up if you wanted. Um, dry suits are preferred, but if, you, if you're a wetsuit diver... There are ways to stay warm diving a wetsuit, and that's, you know, a big part of the class. It's not so much about under the ice as it is about, like Mac was saying, being warm before, tricks and tips and hints to stay warm before, during, and after. Um, but the prerequisites are pretty simple, advanced open water. Now, on your classes, do you also require a bailout? Um, a bailout is preferred. Um, what I tend to do is I balance at least one of the divers in the water will have a bailout. Um, I don't want somebody that's never dove a bailout to have their first time dealing with a bailout also be their first time going under the ice. But if, you know, and an instructor or a certified assistant is in the water with every diver, you know, they go in two divers and instructor or certified assistant. So there's somebody there and everybody's staying pretty close to each other. There is a bailout in the water. And if somebody isn't used to carrying one and employing it, if they go to somebody for air sharing because of free flow, it's the same as though they were sharing air as they were trained prior. They're not trying to use a new device and a new method. And then each of those uh, divers has got a tender as well. That is true. Every every diver, and, and even though there's two divers going in the water, their buddy isn't the guy that's in the water with them. Their buddy is the guy at the other end of the line or gal at the other end of the line and everybody is everybody is on a line in the class there's no cave diving style ice diving in, in the class we talk about it just so there's a visibility on the different ways people do ice dive but that's not uh that's a very good point darren that you know there is a tender for every diver that's in the water and all that equipment is provided with the class there's no expectation that somebody's going to go out and buy ice screws and you know tending lines and ladders and warming shelters and all that stuff. Well, that's a nice part because we generally have a trailer on the shore. And more often than not, we have one or two ice shanties with heaters out by the uh, entry hole. Mm-hmm. And depending on, the, uh, depending on the conditions, a lot of times I'll set up an easy up with a tarp around it that's anchored down to the ice over top of the hole and put a heater in there. Because the unfortunate one is the tender. They're the one that's getting cold. Yeah. Right. We used to have a stage that was like you're talking. It was a wooden uh, seat, but like a bench with a back. You'd anchor it down, and that's where the tender was to keep his feet off the ice. And your backup diver when we always had one of those. 
Exactly. Yeah, I, I, I always use some kind of a platform, if nothing else, pallets. Yes. Yep. To keep the tenders up off the ice because that's that gets cold. You get the wind blowing. That there's going to be water laying there. Yep. You're handling a wet line, and I provide gloves that are waterproof so that when you're tending the line, you're not soaking your hands down because it can be very cold on the ice depending on the depending on the weather and time of the year. I mean, it's cold enough to have ice. Yep. And there's and there's two things I encourage somebody who's doing an ice dive for the first time to be aware of and watch the differences. The first is that the hole sinks in relation to the water. And it, the, the more divers, the quicker it sinks. Yeah, the ice will then start merging into the water level, yeah. Yeah. That's why a platform helps a lot, too. Yep. yep. And, and then the other is that that little triangle that we we cut out, and then when we get done with the dive and we put it back, it always seems to have changed size a little bit. Yeah. And when we use the platform, though, we do a large rectangular. That way you've got the entry part, and then you can go straight out. So it's not a square. It's a rectangle of a little length. Mm-hmm. Yep, because with the platform, you don't need that corner to nuzzle up into to lift yourself up out of the ice. Correct. And well, I'll be looking all forward to that. I, I do hope you get some ice out there. Yeah. So what's and the, if we don't have ice, if we don't have ice the first you know weekend there in February, we'll we'll just push it off a little bit more. I, I believe we're going to have ice this winter, though. The way winter is starting to act already, hmm. last couple of years have been kind of hard on on the, not getting ice. Yeah. yeah. So the way the wind's been blowing in the snow, I, I think we're getting an early jump on it. So, yeah. but but the only other item I was going to say about ice diving, I'll leave it alone in a minute. You really shouldn't do an ice dive with any new equipment that you've not dove before. You don't take a camera down if you've not do, done it before. You really shouldn't do a dry suit dive if that's your first dry suit dive is under the ice. That's that is my opinion anyway. That's 100% true. That's If yeah. you've never dove a dry suit, that's not the time to learn. That's why you know, when you asked about the pony and the bailouts, I, I mentioned that you know I don't want somebody going under there that's never used one before using it for the first time. Not the place to be adding those kind of task loadings onto, but always a good idea. Yeah. Well, let's hope for some ice building weather there in the end of January, beginning of February, and then you know two weeks from that, I hope I hope it's fifty degrees and we're out in the big lake. I I agree. I'm ready. Well, let's jump into the news. Maybe we'll cut this one a little short. Some of these stories have been a little stale because they've been sitting around a while. Uh, this first one is California fishermen are throwing explosives at sea lions. They say the sound carries for kilometers underwater and passes blast waves feel like a punch to the chest. To dodge the painful noise, scuba divers in Monterey, California, avoid the water when the anchovy and squid fleets are out. We just look off the beach. If there are boats, we go somewhere else, says Keith Rustart, a recreational scuba diver. He is among a small but vocal group of conservationists and researchers raising concerns about commercial fishermen using seal bombs. These explosives comparable to small sticks of dynamite scare off seals and sea lions that might otherwise raid the fishing nets. They also annoy divers and potentially harm other species, particularly whales. I would think it's a violation of the Marine Mammal Protection Act. You're not supposed to approach seals or sea lions, and here these guys are throwing dynamite at them. But the practice is lawful. The Marine Mammal Protection Act specifically allows fishermen to use non-lethal methods to deter marine mammals from damaging the gear or catch. Philip 
Samert, a professional diver and boat captain, says he's heard of seal bombs roughly a dozen times underwater. They are loud. It's an explosive, painful sound. You can feel the pressure wave hit you in the chest, and it doesn't matter if it explodes next to your head or a mile away. It sounds the same. On one occasion, Samet says explosives went off within 100 meters of him when a crew of a commercial squid boat intentionally shelled over the water in what he says was a holistic effort to drive him and several other divers out of the water. The divers are unnerved by the seal bombs, but the area's whales may be experienced physical damage. Simone Bowerman Pickering, Pickering, a researcher with the Scripps Acoustic Ecology Laboratory has spent the past several years working on a graduate stu- working on working with a graduate student Anna Crumpel to study the effects of noise on the whales. Between 2005 and 2016, hydrophones fixed to buoys along the coast of Southern California detected up to 37,000 explosions per month during peak fishing season. Sometimes as many 500 an hour. The amount of use is alarming. We know the noises pose a potential threat. In 1989, scientists of the U.S. Na- National Ocean and, o- and goodness, NOAA conducted a rudimentary experiment detonating seal bombs near submerged dolphin carcasses. The scientists saw several impacts, shattered bones, and pulverized muscles from detonations within a half meter. Through the recent research from Scripps has not documented seal bombs physically harming wildlife, the explosive potential effects should not be underestimated. Researchers estimate the whales and dolphins can hear seal bombs from as far away as 80 kilometers. It's reasonable to assume the noise is affecting them, but she and Crumple have struggled to put a numerical assessment on any efforts essential to providing the explosives are harmful. And they go on for quite a while. Uh, I hadn't heard of this. Well, these are called explosive pests. Control devices, EPCDs. They're also referred to as bird bombs, shell crackers, and similar terms. Um, they're not only used for what they were talking about here, to keep other animals away from their nets, but you will find them, believe it or not, at landfills, keeping birds away. Mm-hmm. You find them at airports in yep. some cases to get the birds away because you don't really want – they don't work well with aircraft. No, you don't, you don't want uh... – you don't want to land your uh, plane in the Hudson. Right. And, and everybody who uses that has to be licensed. So if they're going to, you know, import or distribute, they got to have a federal explosive license. But as I was looking at that, I would not mind having one or two. <laughs> yes. Because, no, no, because we need them for recall devices. Oh, I see what you're saying. Right. Now, the 300 meters or 100 meters, that's like, that can... I don't know. Have you ever been on water and had an explosive go off? I have not. I have. It, it it will thump you in the chest really good, depending on how close it is. And you've heard that thing that takes my breath away? Mm-hmm. Well, it's not really fun if you're really close. But if we had these, and I'm looking at the pictorial of this one, I'd like something half as big as that for me to recall, which happens to be an explosive device like that, but I've not been able to get them here in the States. To me, that would be a very handy emergency recall device to have, and you're only going to use one. I'd like to have one for the for the mm-hmm. boat. You know, that doesn't look like it's a whole lot bigger than an M80. I was just thinking well, the I, same I, thing. I've got some M80s and actually some M100s, but they're not like the old days. They are not half as powerful as the old ones. 
No, they aren't. And we used to, all we do is take the fuse like they got here, you dip it in wax, mm-hmm. get it wax coated, start the edge, you know, the end of it, put a small sinker on it, put them overboard, and that's what I intended to do. Because when I was in Georgia, I bought some. They're just not loud enough. This would be ideal. Emergency recall, I think that'd be a good item to have. I'm, I'm guessing that it's effective for what they're wanting to use it for to keep the seals away from their nets and gear, and I can see why they don't want the seals in there. And if you look at some of the arguments that are in the article, some of the numbers are kind of hard to believe. Um, they recorded 37,000 of these explosions. Yeah, or sometimes as many as 500 an hour. Yeah, that's I don't understand that part. Well, it, your, your it, thumb would be worn out flicking a bick. Well, I <laughs> if you figure... I mean, not understanding how this fishing's going on, but I'm assuming that if I'm a boat and I put out, you know, my net, then I'm going to be trying to discourage them from that net. But if you then multiply that by however many boats and nets are out there, then across the fleet, you know, California's large, it's possible that along the whole entire state that you could be at a rate statewide of 500 an hour. Yeah. Because we we see the same things around here. You you talked about airports. We got fruit farms. You know, and then when you have fruit coming in the season, you've got uh, a lot of these. It sounds like somebody's uh, doing a bunch of skeet shooting because it's all you, all you hear is about every twenty thirty seconds another uh, popper going off and trying to scare them away. Well, when I was overseas in Germany, they used to use air cans because they couldn't use explosives. Mm-hmm. Those air cannons will burst your eardrums. <laughs> Yeah, you, you a lot are. of the devices at airports now are actually a propane cannon. It's a propane oxygen cannon. The uh, military also uses them as a training device for IED reactions. Oh. And they're they're actually pretty loud. Well, you're military too. Remember the old practice grenades, the canister <laughs> grenade ones? Oh, yeah. I used those Oh, well, I might have had some of those when I was not in the military, but those were very nice. Big, 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 big firecrackers. Yeah, I really don't see a problem with these guys using the devices. I mean, it goes on to say even Scripps has studied it, and they don't see anything that's causing damage. You can't do anything today without somebody complaining, so somebody's going to complain. Well, I mean, they're certainly welcome to continue to research it and and see what kind of effect it, it has. I wouldn't want to be diving while they're doing that, but I wouldn't want to be diving while they're trying to net those small fish either. No. That could ruin your whole freaking day. Well, this next, yeah. next story we have is researchers studying scuba divers' cardio profiles. Um, uh, gosh, first name right off the bat. Was it Joe Alexiu? An active scuba diver and clinical exercise physiologist at Plymouth Majorn University is involved in a research project investigating the cardiovascular profile of active scuba divers. The goal of the project is to make the first available fit-to-dive guidelines that will benefit all underwater divers and reduce overall diving fatalities. The project is looking for active scuba divers from all over the world to complete a short online research survey. According to the questionnaire, the purpose of the dive research is to collect anonymous information from scuba divers regarding their diving habits and overall health status. 
This information would assist us towards developing a consistent background for scuba divers' 10-year cardiovascular risk and help us in designing a larger interventional study. Even though cardiovascular disease, CVD, is responsible for a quarter of diving fatalities, only a few studies have investigated relationships so far. In the contrary, the current procedure for medical screenings for fitness to dive is not adequate for all divers, especially those above 45 years of age, which only includes a personal health statement. And we'll have links in the show notes where you can go ahead and take the the, the uh, survey. And if you want to find the original article, you can go to deeperblue.com and they have it there. So what what is, I mean, I'm all for the study, but are they just going to have a little checklist and go, you shouldn't dive? Well, remember we talked about this, uh, I don't know if it was on a, a program they got taped or not. Uh, but remember, there was another, actually, there's two of these going on around here. We discussed one where they had taken a group that was going diving of various years, like from mm-hmm. they were 30 to 60-something. They took the reports, health um, physicals before they went in the water. They set them up with monitoring equipment for the heart rate, uh, basically, you know, like, like the, I, can't, I think it's the halter. Mm-hmm device you can wear for 28, 48, three days a week for giving you a good record. They got these on the people in a waterproof configuration. And I don't know if that meant under a dry suit or not. And then their preliminaries were quite interesting because a lot of people say, I go down, I get underwater, and I'm just calm. My heart rate goes down. And they're saying, yeah, that's what you think because that means what's happening. Yeah. And it's like, man, I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Well, you, you, and, you, I was going to say, you mentioned that on the turkey dive, I wore my, my Fitbit again underwater, and it did more what I thought it would do, where last time my rate was high. I This time, it actually, towards the last half of the dive, it, it actually got below my normal resting heart rate, which I thought was surprising. That was because you were in low visibility. but this was you know this is interesting and i'd love to volunteer for that especially if they could monitor me because they said just putting on the dry suit or wetsuit if you're hot or cold or sweating makes a big difference the constriction around your neck makes a cardio difference so i would be really interested in this and would hope they'd have a lot of variations from age to you know young to old knowing their physical condition before they go in, what kind of suit did they wear? Was it cold water, warm water, hot water? Mm -hmm. I think that could do nothing but help us. Well, this particular program, Mac, they're actually, it's a, it's an anonymous information gathering survey, 23 page survey. um, And they're basically looking at overall cardiac health of divers. And I, I don't know what their end result is. I never looked at it that deep, but I know that they're, trying to build a profile of the general cardiac health of divers compared to the general population. Right. I'm looking at the survey even as we speak and filling it out. <laughs> <laughs> and you're right. There's a, there's a heck of a lot of questions. So, and if you answer truthfully, this is going to be pretty interesting. And I'd it love is. to see the results. They, they do have a Facebook page that you can follow. Um, yep. I've run into this group before and I haven't really seen – they've been throwing little blurbs about cardio health here and there, but it'll be curious to see what the outcome and what, what their published works are after the survey. 
and what they're doing for it with the with the information and what they're going to do beyond just the collection of the information. Yes, because it is a major problem in diving. I mean, as, as I said, there a quarter of diving fatalities are found to be cardiac related, and I, I would tend to err that that's on a low side. Um, a lot of a lot of diving fatalities are found to be drownings. They don't get into the precipitating cause. And I would say that it's actually probably a little bit higher than that. But that's also, you know, it's it's a common problem across everything, not just diving. And we just see it in diving. Yeah. And we can all do something to take care of ourselves better, especially cardiovascularly. Well, I like diving enough that that's my my reason for keeping in shape is to dive. <laughs> and the more you dive, it keeps you in shape. Yeah, well, you know what that, I'm saying that, that's kind of catch twenty two for me is is when I get busy and I I'm not diving I'm certainly in poorer shape because of it and that poor shape could eventually keep you from diving so like it's you, you almost need to say hey I I can't go to work today I I have to go and dive can you get a physician to sign you up for some kind <laughs> of occupational therapy I I think I need to try that my doctor is a scuba diver so I'm going to have to see if maybe he can give me a get out of work note. If that works, we can set him up to make a lot of money. <laughs> he, he could he could be exclusive. Well, we have a rescue team that is seeking divers, but the commander warns it's not for everyone. Nick Goldstein, a full encapsulation diver gear, entered Lake Shara with a tendered with a rope and a shore responder, Kristen Kyle, on Sunday. But even before touching the water, divers walked through a tedious series of steps of properly gearing up and setting up a wash station for their exit from the water at the Effingham Lake. The teamwork training has was one of the rest oh the teamwork training was one that rescue scuba diver for Effingham County must take when encountering hazardous material situation. Once we become involved, usually there's a submerged vehicle or a submerged body. We're looking at a diver into a hazardous body of water because of these things, said Jeremy Kyle, captain with the dive rescue team. The team's efforts are oftentimes needed in police work we help solve crimes we recover evidence and thousands of dollars in value worth of property we've done homicide investigation dives suicide investigation dives and accident investigation dives the training team's efforts help bring closure to families touched by these tragedies sometimes the divers are called to retrieve lost items inadvertently dropped in the water in the case of a submerged vehicle Divers have to be aware of oil, gasoline, petroleum contaminants in the water. If there's a body involved, divers have to be aware of potential biological contaminants in the water. Jeremy Kyle, who's been with the diving team for 12 years, led the classroom in lakeside training Sunday before divers suited up in a full encapsulation diving gear. Part of the training involved diving, but focused primarily on decontamination of diving gear, diving equipment, and the divers themselves. And they go on and give some more examples, but did you take a look at that photo there? That's a... A nice rig they put up. When we've done sewage diving back in the day, that's basically what you had. We didn't have something as nice. Well, we just took PVC and made a shower. Mm-hmm. And the worst person there, the worst job to have is that freaking tender. <laughs> because I'm going to be dry as long as my suit didn't leak. Didn't leak. And back then, we were, I was using a helmet, not a uh-huh. band mask like they do. But... When you come out of sewage, you can bet your buttons that poor guy with that mop, they're getting the short end of the stick, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so that's the rookie guy who's the, who's the tender. He's, he's opened the, the graduate up to actually being the diver. 
Generally, that's who gets the Scud job. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we don't think about that too often. Um, I haven't seen too many contamination dives other than I'm sure there are times where the rivers can get to that level. But Well, they say New Jersey, a lot of the old around-the-boat wharfs and whatever, some of that stuff is just horrific for what you find in it. You know, and if you're diving around an oxbow, you've got so much stagnant waters in there, you have no clue what you're really going to find in there. Right. You can you can have in a healthy river, you can have some high bacteria levels. Well, what's interesting about this, though, is that this team is actually soliciting for volunteers to build up the team, and they're looking for volunteers outside of your typical law enforcement and fire department realm. Well, all I know is if you ever read the manuals for safety divers, it, this is not a sport. It is not recreational. It's a freaking serious business. It most certainly is. And just about everything that, that they're going to get into involves some level of contamination, whether it's human remains recovery or a vehicle in the water. You're going to have fuels. They're going to contaminate. At a minimum, you're going to have problems with gear. You're going to have skin problems, stuff like that. And what I find interesting about that picture where they're deconning is the person doing the decon is not wearing any PPE. Other than other than gloves. Other than gloves. Now, I would you, have thought, depending on the, to, the item, a respirator is quite often used because you don't really want to ingest or any of that. I wonder if that might be because it is just training that maybe they're not getting as serious as maybe they should have with the with that dive, that volunteer. It very well could be. It could be somebody that's new, and they, you know, you start out, you've got to crawl before you walk, and you've got to walk before you run. But typically, you'll see somebody in encapsulation today's day and age if you're going to be performing any decon. And it's interesting. I was just involved in a conversation about decon in the public safety realm, and come to find out that the vast majority of teams around this part of the country are actually using Simple Green for their decon. Mm. Yeah, we use Clorox. Definitely in the sewage because you've got a lot more bacterial contamination. Yeah, and you kept your shots up to date, too. (laughs) (laughs) It's just interesting that they're actually going outside of the typical public safety realm to look for volunteers for both surface and underwater positions. But from everything I've seen, the Effingham team, and this is Illinois, just a little bit outside of Chicago, um, they're a very very well put together, very well managed team just interesting to see that they're soliciting outside volunteers. Good to see because yeah. the pool of uh, people that are qualified or actually have the desire to, to do that kind of work is kind of small. I agree. That's a really, I mean, a public service diver, public safety diver, a lot of responsibilities and you need a lot of shore support when you're doing this. Here, here we have a, an Arkansas woman works to set a scuba gear world record. Fort Smith native fulfilled her New Year's resolution to set a world record. Lindsay Scott, a resident of Farmingham, a farming, I said Farmingham, Farmington, who's originally from Fort Smith, succeeded in setting the record for the fastest time to put on and take off a scuba wetsuit. Her attempt to do so took place in the HPER building of the Ar- University of Arkansas in Fayetteville, on November 5th, Scott said her goal was to put on and take off the wetsuit in under 60 seconds. According to an article previously pub- 
published in the Times Record. She would also give herself three tries to achieve her goal during the attempt after doing a practice run to make sure she and the officials knew exactly what the attempt is going to look like. She succeeded in one try. Her record time was 43.13 seconds. I'm so tickled to myself, actually. I'm very pleased, but more than that, I'm surprised and really, really grateful for the outpouring of support that I received throughout this entire process. There were way more people that showed up Sunday than I expected, so it was just really nice. She said, in addition to spectators, there were also several officials at the event as far as the university guidelines. They had two lifeguards there, and then for the the Guinness World Record guidelines, they had two timekeepers, Scott said. I had two independent witnesses, three actually. They were attorneys, police officers. I had two other witnesses. I had two scuba diving experts to verify the equipment hadn't been tampered with, and they make sure I put it on, quote, to intended standards. A professional photographer and videographer was also present, Scott said. So 60 seconds? I like to say, is that a Farmer John suit, dry suit? Is that a single zip suit? Did that include boots, hood, and gloves? I'm curious. I'm There's no picture. I wish there was a picture. I'm guessing that it would, if it was me, I would say you don't have to worry about uh, boots, gloves, and hood, but it does need to be a full wetsuit. You know, it should be wrist and ankles. And then I mean, I can put a single zip suit on quicker than 43 seconds. She put it on and took it off. Yes. I'd like to know why they needed lifeguards. Yeah. Well, that was, that was, uh, just a, I think they were doing it on the school grounds and they just required it. But I'd still like to know what kind of suit it was. Darn it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause if you had something where it zipped up and down the sides and stuff, you know, and around the legs, you could make it real easy. That's why I said mine is so warm now. My, the, the wetsuit one piece. <laughs> yeah. I can put that on cause it's like putting on pajamas. <laughs> but I still would have. That's still though quite fast. That would, it would have been funny to see the video. Yes, well, I find it amazing that there's a world record for how fast you can put off, put take on, put on, and take off a wetsuit. Well, you know, I have to look this up to see if I can find a picture because I, it's piqued my curiosity so much now. <laughs> well, I'm image search. Whether I regret <laughs> it or not, I don't know. <laughs> Darn it. See, let's see what you caused now. Well, let's go ahead, and I, I think we'll just do one more article because we're running a little bit long. And this one is Marine Sensors Funding to Help Probe Mysteries of the Deep. Researchers at the University of Southampton have received funding to develop sensors capable of working in extreme ocean conditions. The sensors that will result are designed to be compatible with autonomous underwater systems such as NOC's Autosub Bodie McBoatface. We'll also be able to perform a variety of functions at sea, helping answer questions such as, why did we name this vessel this stupid name? One of the sensor <laughs> projects have also <laughs> will be developed a 3D visual mapping system to obtain detailed color images, topographical measurements of the seafloor, such as measuring co- uh, the cover of live cold water coral in marine protected areas. University has been awarded a total of 4.3 million pounds in funding by the Natural Environment Research Council. Is that their answer? They they didn't they never ended up naming that was it an icebreaker or something they were going to that everybody wanted Bodie McBoatface. So this is the consolation prize is we're going to do an ROV. I don't know. Interesting. 
But to answer your questions earlier, Mac, it's a one-piece wetsuit. Looks like a three mil. Okay, we can find it. Yeah, I'm curious where that is. I want to see that one, but look under the general chat. I posted a link. Oh, I will go back to there. I've been ignoring the diversion there. Yeah, I've been been ignoring the (laughs) chat room. (laughs) No, no problem at all. But I think that's it. We'll we'll skip the other. Oh, I see it. Oh, is it any good? Oh, it's a one piece, just like we said with the zip. No boots, gloves, or hood. There's a thirty image gallery. Let me guess, she's really skinny. No, not really. She had a crowd, didn't she? Quite. Yeah, it was down at the pool. And she was wearing a dive skin under it, which probably helped. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Can you see silicon? <laughs> a lot of baby shampoo. Oh, yeah. That would be cute. I'm just amazed that. I'd never had the first inkling that there was a world record for how fast you could put on a wetsuit and take it back off. Yeah, if I just went through the gallery, that's pretty cool. Hmm. Well, good for her. Yes. I wonder if she named her wetsuit Bodie McBoatface. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <sighs> if it was a cooler name, I'd, that'd be the show title. <laughs> so does anybody have any diving planned? I, I, well, tomorrow, or not tomorrow, Saturday, we're going up to um, Grand Rapids, to the East Grand Rapids High School, and they're uh, part of their, I can't even think of the term they're using now, uh, for those who have physical disabilities for diving. Mm-hmm. It's part of like that Mary Freebed, who does that kind of events for uh, people who have difficulties and either uh, they have limbs that are paralyzed or missing, or they have some psychological problems, Mm -hmm. Uh, they're having uh, scuba opportunities for them. Oh, yeah. I'll be going up there with uh, Sweeney. Kevin's got some more people coming up, and we're going to assist the trained instructors. We're going to be the second person to help them dress um, and handle the people in the water. Assistant scuba diving. Yep. So we should be... uh, We've got two groups, one in the morning, one in the afternoon. So we'll be able to talk about that and hopefully put some pictures on the club site uh, next week. Well, excellent. I'm looking forward to it. Sounds good. I, I'm interested to hear how it goes. Yeah. I'm not sure if they have any veterans or anything in this one because I know there are some groups that do, also do that. Because mm-hmm. I understand that, believe it or not, uh, underwater diving does help in many cases relieve some stress from post-traumatic stress syndrome. Significantly. Yeah. There's actually a lot of studies that have been done, and there, there's actually a lot more groups that are utilizing scuba for PTSD treatment. It's also utilized a lot for physical treatment because of the weightlessness. And, and for those that are, you know, quadriplegics, being able to actually move. It, oh, yeah. Yeah. It gives them a lot more freedom. And it's... It's generally psychologically just good for anybody that has issues. And there, there are actually quite a few groups that are doing different levels of assisted scuba uh, for just about every ailment that you can come up with. There's somebody right now doing some kind of assisted scuba programs. Um, Dive Heart does some of the more amazing stuff that I've seen where mm-hmm. you know, they actually took somebody who was on life support diving. Wow. That must have been a trick. I was, I, it was 
there were quite a few people involved in it. Yeah, I've seen the ones where they've done uh, people who are paralyzed totally, but Mm -hmm. with like a full face unit. So when Mm -hmm. the water face down, they get all the the sensory aspects of it, and they said it really makes a difference in the heart rate and their breathing. Mm -hmm. A lot of them find it so freaking relaxing. It's just amazing. Well, you've you've just been – not only are you – is gravity not your friend in that situation – but the fact that you you're relegated to in many cases a bed, you know they're just they're they're turning you and moving you around just so you don't get bed sores. You're you're not really getting out and doing stuff. So that has to be just an amazing experience for those those people. One of the biggest proponents of of the the handicapped scuba or the assisted scuba is actually Al Unser's. I believe it's his daughter Cody Unser, mm-hmm. the uh, the Indy car racer. Yeah. Um, she was involved in an accident that she's a, uh, I believe she's a paraplegic, maybe quadriplegic, but I believe she's paraplegic and she got involved in diving as part of her treatment. And she's, there's a group called Cody Unser foundation that actually is opening up diving to a lot more people in that, in that realm because of the benefits that she found. Awesome. You guys are going to be able to be involved in that, Wish I was uh, able to come up for that, but. Well, I'm looking forward to it. My biggest challenge is going to be able to get up to be there in time at 8 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> it's, it certainly is, uh, is motivating, though, to see these people that, that have limitations, exceeding those limitations and doing something that, one, they never expected to do, and two, we never expected to see them doing. It's, it's actually, it, I've been involved in a couple of programs like that, and it's, it's really eye-opening to see what they're actually capable of doing. So I assume you're going to post something on uh, either Facebook or the Mud Club site. Absolutely. So people keep an eye out for that. The Mud Club site is mudclub.scubaobsessed.com, and you can follow along and see what's going on there. Well, I think we are getting to that time of the show. Are you guys, do you have any, well, I'm rushing things. Before, before we go, do you have anything you want to plug? No, other than uh, we know we're going to have the Mud Club New Year's Dive. And if you're interested and you're local, give us a call. Or not local. Or if yeah. you're not local. Yeah, you, you want to, mind. a little distance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where are you staying when you come over? Yeah. I'll be at Jim's. Oh, okay. So you got a place to, to crash. Okay. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, I've kind of got a bedroom there with as much as I've been teaching at Wolf's. <laughs> <laughs> and don't forget to go out and go diving. The skills are perishable. Yes. Yeah. Another another good reason to ice dive, because you can. Yeah, keep that skill going, keep you in the water. And then just think of how uh, nice April uh, melts will feel after you've been used to diving in the ice. Well, on that cold water theme, we have this joke. Larry went to visit his 86-year-old grandfather in a very rural area. After spending a great evening chatting the night away, Larry's grandfather prepared breakfast of bacon and eggs. Larry noticed a film-like substance on his plate and questioned his grandfather, asking, Are these plates clean? His grandfather replied, They're as clean as cold water can get them. Just go ahead and finish your meal. For lunch, the old man made hamburgers again. Larry was concerned about the plates as it appeared to have little specks around the edge that looked like dried eggs and asked, Are you sure these plates are clean? Without looking up, the man said, I told you before. 
Those dishes are as clean as cold water can get them. Now don't you worry. I don't want to hear another word about it. Later in the afternoon, as he was leaving, his grandfather's dog started to growl and wouldn't let him pass. Larry yelled, Grandfather, your dog won't let me get to my car. Without diverting his attention from the football game he was watching on TV, the old man shouted, Cold water, go lay down. You hear me? That's bad. (laughs) (laughs) Too bad you can't use some of the ones I sent you for (laughs) 70-year-olds. We'll we'll have to, maybe we'll do that. I have to figure that one out. Those, we'll those, do an adult version after the fact. We'll have to do an adult edited <laughs> signed a waiver. Uh, oh gosh! The, 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 with with oh my gosh! The, maybe this is a post show. So on that note, <laughs> go out there and get wet and stay safe. Okay, and that is it. Uh, what I was going to say is, the way things are are going now if you, is, I was talking to people at work, and it's not only can you be accused of something and you may have zero recourse to even dispute it, but the fact that it's retroactive. So I don't even know how you how do how does somebody under twenty five even date now. How do you put on a wetsuit and take it off in front of a group without somebody being offended? <laughs> yes. Well, also what I'm wondering is, uh, is is it a double standard? You know, if the well, if the person who's commenting or complimenting you is really cute, is that okay? But if they're kind of ugly, then no, that's, that, that doesn't work. Without getting too deep into it, it just goes back to the standard problem we've been having where it's everybody is touchy feely and offended easy and there's no there's no respect or honor anymore or dignity. It's just everybody wants something for free and you hurt me and, and You think that's yeah. age related? It it mo- it's not age related so much as I think it's era related. Something yeah, well, I, I just something thinking, changed. In, in the mid-80s to early 90s? Well, I think if you if everything you said was not anonymous on Facebook, you'd have a hell of a lot of a less comments than you do that are inflammatory. Oh, there's a lot of that. Um, you know, and a lot of it is, is just, you know, there's certain Facebook groups that I'm a part of that there's one that I don't know if you're on or not that's uh, – just changed names. Jim LaPena's scuba accidents, and now it's risk management. And there's people that post some of the dumbest crap, and then the answers that come up from people about what what they should or shouldn't do, or what's the right way to do something. 
and nobody can take criticism. Somebody had posted something about nitrox, and, and the guy, some guy commented, there's never been any studies about the effects of nitrox on diving. So I just posted links to like 10 different things to him that were papers from the Rubicon Org that were studies done on the effects of nitrox on the human body and divers. And the guy immediately, instead of saying, oh, I wasn't aware of these studies, he came back and said, well, that's not the kind of study I meant. They didn't do any Doppler. So I gave him some links where there were some Doppler studies for bubbling. And then he came back, well, that's not what I'm, that's the problem. <laughs> Nobody's willing to just man up and say, oh, shit, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's good. I, he has to be Barney Badass, and, and everybody has to be a know-it-all. And when you do say something, somebody's going to become offended, and you hurt their feelings because they're not – you bruise their ego. What I dislike is fake news. You know, why people do that? I mean, I don't think it's it's funny. I mean, you know, a comedy show is different than fake news. Right. But people don't realize that anymore because there's a blurred line between where you get your information. Well, it, it gets me as what you go and you watch the president do a 30-minute speech, and then depending on which station you listen to, you have somebody telling you what the president just said as if you can't make your own decision because you listen to him yourself. And if you listen to the Democrat or the Republican or the Independent, you get three different interpretations of what he really meant when he said what he said. Exactly. And none of them are what he said. <laughs> right. And I'm there. I listen to the man. And then I say, okay, I don't judge him what he said. I judge him on what did he do, what he said. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. 